I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast. Every Mum the Podcast was created for one reason, to get honest about parenthood, about the realities, the joys, the surprises and the fears, the moments that form us and the ones we don't hear people talk enough about, which is why we are so proud to partner with Water Wipes as our sponsor for this season, as they share this mission with us and they're such an essential brand for every mum. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes containing just two ingredients, 99.9% water and just a drop of fruit extract, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and also the proud winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. During the early days as a parent, everything is uncertain, but choosing the right wipes shouldn't be a worry. With no artificial fragrance, soap, silicones or colours, Water wipes are suitable for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. Together, we are committed to providing more reassurance for parents with trusted products and this podcast, helping us to all take those important steps towards greater confidence while building a community of support for every mum. In Ireland, one in six couples will experience some form of fertility challenge, with secondary infertility accounting for 60% of this. So you see, if you're listening to this because you are trying to conceive, please know that you're not alone. This February on Every Mum, we are putting our focus on caring for your fertility, physically, mentally, and emotionally, because it matters. We have gathered incredible women who so kindly are sharing their own personal experiences. We have expert advice from industry professionals, and even more importantly, suggestions on how we can all care for ourselves better and how those who love us can best support us. If you've been trying for 12 months and are under 35, or trying for six months and over 35, it's a really good idea to start thinking about getting some answers, even if it just means you can feel some reassurance. We know you might feel scared or intimidated, but really the best place to start is by talking to your GP. So we asked Dr. Deirdre Lundy, a GP specialising in women's health for over 30 years, to join us on this podcast. Originally from the US, Deirdre attended UCD Medical School and never went back. She has worked for all the family planning clinics around Dublin and joined the Bray Women's Health Centre team in the 90s. She also works for the Irish College of General Practitioners in the Women's Health Department, is a member of the Ask the Experts panel for GP Buddy and started and continues to work in the GP gynaecology clinics in the Rotunda, Coombe and National Maternity Hospitals. She is also on the staff of the Royal College of Surgeons, where she tries to introduce young medical students to the art of consulting and examining patients with respect and kindness. She knows what we need to know, and she is here to share this information with us all so that we can feel less in the dark and ready to make the next right move, because our fertility matters. Dr. Deirdre Lundy, thank you so much for joining us on Every Mom the Podcast, especially for this episode, which is in a way a fertility special. Um, during February on Every Mom, we're putting a lot of focus on our fertility and whether that's sharing very honest experiences from different women um, to supporting people who might know people going through it and, you know, what not to say and, you know, how to really be there for people and also sharing incredible information and support from experts so that more women, more couples 
As we know, one in six are having fertility problems, but maybe with all of this information and support, they can feel a little less alone going through it all. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm absolutely delighted to be participating because it is such an important issue, you know. Such an important issue. And whether it's first time fertility challenges or second time fertility challenges, um, you know, and especially supporting people on either end of the spectrum, because we're hearing more and more of those secondary problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because like, it's such an honor in general practice to be involved. We're involved in really every level, you know, from the first period and managing pain and heavy bleeding and PMS and then controlling fertility when women become sexually active. Um, because in, nowadays, societally, most women don't want to start their families in their teenage years. They want to leave it until they've had a chance to get their education and their career online. So you spend most of your young reproductive life, if you're sexually active, trying to avoid getting pregnant. But always in the back of your head, you're wondering, will I be able to... Can I? Mm -hmm. And then if it doesn't happen immediately when you are trying, the amount of stress and anxiety that that brings on. And then, as you say, there are women who have a first pregnancy and do very well. And then where's number two? Where's number three? Like you can have subsequent delay and problems and it, it's all anxiety driving, isn't it? And I think one of the biggest problems is that because no one's talking about it, there isn't enough shared information and support amongst, you know, friends and family and good recommendations. Mm. And I think what we are learning from this month is people are wondering, you know, what's the first good move? I know what you're saying. I, you know, it's funny, like, if you, I'm thinking now about miscarriage. Mm. You know, a lot of women lose a pregnancy early before they're telling people they're pregnant. And that's the convention, is you don't tell people you're pregnant straight away, because if you miscarry, you don't want them to know. And now I'm just thinking, why don't we want them to know? Like, it's in a massive life event that can have huge negative impact on your personal well-being and, and your life as a couple and your performance in work with family. And yet it's like a secret if you're trying and you're supposed to just wait until everything is guaranteed. Not that there's ever a guarantee, no. you know. And then when something goes awfully wrong, you've nobody to share it with because you never told anybody you were trying to like it's all and nobody to support you through yeah, one of the so hardest kind of, things that could happen yeah yeah like it's so sad it doesn't make any sense but that's our that's our culture we do that don't we you know and some people say it's down to superstition some you know maybe it's just maybe. so part of our history that it was somehow a failure maybe that there's something about you the other thing is if you tell people i'm pregnant and then you say to people oh unfortunately um we lost the baby, we lost the pregnancy, then people will be looking at you for the next couple of months waiting for the next announcement. Mm -hmm. And who needs that pressure? You or know, maybe you don't want the constant kind of head tilt and reminder. Any news? You just want to <laughs> yeah, get through yeah. your day yeah, yeah. without the world looking at yeah. you. Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. I got a really good piece of advice when I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, which was, um, you know, tell the people that you will need if something goes wrong. That's a good, that is a very good piece of advice. So tell your mom, your dad, your, obviously your partner, mm. but you know, your partner's family, close friends, people who matter to people you. People who, the people who you yeah. will need to wrap that blanket around you mm -hmm. if something goes wrong. That's a really good piece of advice. It really is because you need their support, you know. You, you totally do. And you also need their support during those 
you know, provided it, it goes well, yeah. you know, you need their support during those few weeks because they're the toughest. The more notice your mom or your mother-in-law gets, the better, absolutely, if, if they have any scope to be involved. You know, clearly, because nowadays it makes it's a life event for everybody, really, isn't it? You know? Absolutely. So when couples are trying, they kind of okay. say before 35, 12 months of trying is kind of normal. Yeah. Which like that's 12 months. Mm, of, a long time. And if you're operating in two week cycles of is this going to happen? Did it happen? It yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. That's well, an anxious time for 12 months before 35 and six for after 35. Yeah. Those rules are more about when to refer to specialty advice centers rather than how long you should be waiting before you ask for some reassurance. So if a, a young woman has decided, okay, we're going to start a family, a lot of people quite sensibly go to their GP before they even start trying to just say, listen, I don't want to be overly fussy about this, but I want to make sure that I'm my odds are as good as they can be and maybe get a little bit of a checkup and make sure I'm doing everything the way I should be. And I think that's a really good mm. idea if you have the opportunity to do so, the means or the med a medical card. And just find card. out everything's well because it's harder to fix mm -hmm. things yeah. after that pregnancy. Yeah. So a, a really good thing to do would be go and get some advice about diet and lifestyle stuff, smoking, recreational drug use, both of which have huge impact on fertility for some women. And yet not so much for others. Very and unpredictable. Oh, yeah. Now that is huge impact on, on sperm men. quality. Yeah, men and women both. Then having a talk about what's my cycle like, because a lot of girls might have been on the pill or wearing a coil throughout their teens and 20s. And now if they're in their middle or later 20s, they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, which is fine. We, we talked about that before, that using contraception hormone doesn't impair your ability to conceive, but it certainly doesn't let you know what's going on with your mm -hmm. own natural cycle because you've overridden it for all those years you were on the pill. Making sure that you're using supplements that are relevant to our experience. So Irish residents, regardless of where they're born, live in this awful tunnel of a country of ours where we get virtually no <laughs> sunshine and like we have to be on folic acid supplements mm -hmm. pre-pregnancy otherwise our babies are have a much higher rate of neural tube defect spina bifida than babies born in sunnier climes so and it doesn't matter where you're born what nationality race you are you need folic acid if you're just gonna, by living here yeah if you're living in the north northern hemisphere dark, dark winters you know so all that stuff can be explored before you ever come off the pill, you know. So you're not into the trying and anxious time. You mm. actually have some of those answers and a bit of prep work yeah. beforehand. Yeah, and some self-care because there is a cohort of women and it's not entirely, it's, it's circumstantial, who had to be really on point with their education and then really focused on their career and then very keen to attempt to try to get independent accommodation uh, as difficult as that is nowadays uh, in our, you know, certainly in Dublin and urban areas. So they've been so focused on getting things just lined up perfectly. And now they've decided now is the perfect time to get pregnant. And of course, Murphy's law, the more you push on that button, slightly higher risk there is that your nature will say, I don't think so. I am fully in that category. Yeah. 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 It's awful, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, I think it's just part of the system and the society and the culture that we have today. It's like the harder you work at something, the success happens. The more you study, you get the exam. Exactly. The more you prepare for the job interview, the longer you work, you get the promotion. Mm. And we are kind of like we we want success we want to mm. be told like 
make it make it happen yeah that yeah. box is ticked yes you got that right well done you yeah you yeah. know um and funny enough fertility is the one thing that you can't force you cannot make it happen i mean obviously medical science can override whatever the hell nature is got sure, planned yeah. for you up to a point but i think there is a kind of a, a um you know a sort of a negative feedback that the more you push for something like i want a baby this summer <laughs> the more, <laughs> the, more, the, more the, the fates laugh at you yeah and maybe that's down to some things are actually just destined yeah some of it is inherent background fertility but i think a lot of it is i think we're more anxious in society nowadays than ever before and anxiety can have so many negative um uh, effects on all of our mental and physical health and fertility is very vulnerable to stress and anxiety, very vulnerable. And I think, you know, people are looking at those ideal windows of when to conceive based on when's the most appropriate time when that project is finished. Yeah, yeah. And that or house is paid for. When that house is paid whatever. for. Or yeah. when that child is out of full-time crash. When it, you know, let's squeeze it in yeah. when it's the most um, beneficial mm. or when, it, you know, when is the right opportune. time. Opportune time. Yeah. But also a cap on that being, but before I'm 40. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden our opportunity window is shortened and shortened and shortened because there is never an appropriate time. No. And the sad truth about it is as human women, our fertility peaks around 21 and it's wow. on the downslide after that. So while it may be societally convenient to delay your first pregnancy well beyond your teens and into your 20s or be, or later, uh, your body is actually starting to kind of pack up shop a little mm. bit. It's And if you look at the actual conception rates, um, you know, overpopulations by age, there is a hell of a downturn after the middle 20s. So in the old days, like in my generation, professional women like myself who are going to be in education in their 20s, we were very aware of that. And we were thinking, God, I don't want to be 30 when I start my family. Now, if you're under 30 and you start a family... People are thinking, wow, that was, you know, that was young. So they used to have a term for first time pregnant women over 27 were called, called mature prima gravida. So like o o older than over you ought to be. Over 27? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. my. And I had that in my head 30 years ago when I had my first baby in pregnancy. I was like, oh God, I hope I'm not too much beyond 27 when that I start like the my family. That's geriatric mom mm -hmm. now, and that's mm -hmm. what, over 35? Yeah, mature is better, but yeah, yep, geriatric. So anything, is, <laughs> anything is better than geriatric. But it's the same idea, that everything that can go wrong in a pregnancy or conceptually is more likely to happen after your, your middle 20s, you know? You're saying, so go to the mm. GP is the first thing. What could they expect yeah. in terms of the, the different <laughs> things that they need to find out about themselves? I think, a, I think a, an aware GP, especially um, GPs, men and women, both who are interested in fertility, preconceptual, fertility care, wouldn't be in the least bit surprised to get someone to book in for a pre-pregnancy kind of an MOT. And really a lot of that would be to make sure that you don't have other medical conditions mm. that need to be optimized. So if God love you, you're struggling with something like diabetes or blood pressure or autoimmune disorders, they have to be um, tweaked before you start your family. You might be on medications that could have, like girls with epilepsy do sometimes be on medicines that can have what they call teratogenic effects. You can have a baby with a higher rate of birth defects if you conceive on that tablet. So anybody with a uh, ongoing medical condition mm. wouldn't be a bad idea to get some advice from their doctor before they ever come off the pill. Mm -hmm. Then to talk about 
you know, things like weight and optimal weight management, smoking, recreational drugs, alcohol, pharmaceuticals like we talked about, um, folic acid supplements, and then just being kind to yourself, not expecting an immediate conception because the body doesn't always work like that. And to know that there's an open door so that if after so many months, and that doesn't have to be a specific three to six months or six to 12 mm. months, but wherever you're at the point where you're getting demoralized, it's time to go back to the GP and say, what the hell? You know What's going on? Yeah. And we usually start with some blood tests. So there's a variety of blood tests we can do for, for our lady patients to identify whether or not they're actually releasing an egg. Mm. Chances are, if you've come off the pill or you're not using contraception and you bleed anywhere from about 22 to 35 days per, you know, per cycle in between bleeds, that, that's a good sign that you're making eggs. It'd be and rare. is the regularity of that important or is it just that you always yeah. fall within that window? Yeah, so long as you're somewhere between three weeks and five weeks, it's unlikely. There are some women who bleed very infrequently, three times a year, four times a year, and that's often because they're not ovulating. And what happens is they their womb waits until enough goop kind of builds up and then it just falls out of them. So those would we would consider those likely to be anovulatory cycles, no eggs. But when an egg is produced on a monthly basis, you'll get a monthly bleed on average. So that's mm -hmm. a really good sign right there. Monthly so if bleeds. you're getting those monthly bleeds, chances are typically you're ovulating. you're ovulating. Now, there can be a lot of um, hurdles between popping an egg out on a regular basis and getting a live baby. So anybody who's ever been exposed to, say, sexually transmitted diseases, mm -hmm. which they might not even have been aware of because a lot of them are silent. Which is really, really scary. So scary and so common. We reckon about 1 in 12 girls under 25 have been exposed to chlamydia. 1 in 12 mm. girls under 25. Yeah. And, and, they, and that's silent. Yeah, and, and many of them would never have been di diagnosed, never have been treated. And the problem with things like chlamydia is that bacteria gets through the cervix, up into the womb, up to the tubes beyond, and eventually your body actually gets rid of it. it, it your immune system gets rid of it but it can leave scar tissue behind in its wake. And scarring in the womb and the tubes can make it very difficult to, difficult to conceive, even though you're making an egg every single month. So that's why it's not fair to expect a young girl to just batter on month after month without a little bit of discussion and information just to make sure that they're not high risk for fertility complications, you know? Um, one episode of chlamydia that's identified and treated with antibiotics and resolves completely has um, very little chance of affecting your fertility. The girls who really seem to suffer are the ones who are being exposed to it over and over again, but are not getting diagnosed and not getting treated, you know? So multiple exposures to things like chlamydia and gonorrhea, which is more common than you think, you know? I'm like, how, what about getting, so whatever about getting it once? Multiple times. Mm. Because what will happen is if you're with the same partner who's still carrying, still carrying it, it. Okay. So your body gets a fresh supply of, of bacteria. Each time. It, it moves up through your genital tract into your tubes and your womb. Your body tries to combat it as best it can and it finally does. But then the next time you guys are together without a condom, here comes another mm. payload mm. of... Like, that is just a disaster for fertility. And how can somebody find out about that? You need to get screened. So 
in, certainly in urban areas, most every GP can do an STI screen and they don't have to do like, well, they don't have to do everything. So when you go for an STI test, it usually involves blood tests to look for hepatitis, HIV, and syphilis. And then either a swab or a sample of urine to look for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and other like less common things like trichomonas and stuff. Um, and like you can just do this, the gonorrhea, uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia one. You don't have to do everything. Because in fairness now, in the exclusively heterosexual monogamous community, there's not that much HIV, hepatitis, syphilis relative to gonor uh, mm -hmm. gonorrhea, chlamydia. Gonorrhea and chlamydia are definitely... That, that and warts would be top of the league table in okay, Ireland. Most frequent. Yeah, exactly. So those are the ones that are really likely to be in our community mm -hmm. and you that, that you might be exposed to. And the weirdest thing of all is you can have them or your partner can have them, male and female. It could be, this can happen to same-sex couples as well and have no symptoms. No burning, no discharge, no bleeding, no nothing that would no alert you. No reason to go and get checked. No. And they'd be like, oh, I'm clean whatever the hell that means, you know. <laughs> no, you don't know what you, you are what unless you you've had a yeah. test. Yeah, yeah. So important. I never really joined those dots between mm. that and leading to your fertility. Yeah, and the saddest thing of all is they're kind of, they're a little bit trickier to fix because if there's a physical impediment between your healthy eggs and your partner's healthy sperm because your tubes or your womb are gummed up or, or scarred up, you're going to need IVF. That's just all there is okay. to it, yeah. Um, whereas with other issues like people who have eggs but they're just a bit slug sluggish and don't pop out every month, you can often address that with medication. But not when there's scar tissue as mm. a result of undiagnosed um, sexually transmitted bacteria. That needs, that needs intervention and that's such a heartbreak, you know. And tell me then about, okay, discovering more about, you know, your your LH and your FSH right. and your AMH we, and all of these yeah. acronyms yeah. of things that help women sure. figure out if they're ovulating at the right time and at the right levels. When when we're going to do like a let's just see where we stand. Yeah. I'm trying for a few months. You have regular cycles, but so far no joy. One of the first things we do after we just take a full history and um, make sure all your other health issues are optimized is we take blood tests. And in general, if you're cyclical, if you're having bleeds every three to five weeks, we take a series of blood tests that we like to do early in the cycle, like two, three days after you've started a period. And then we try, and this is really hard to achieve sometimes, to get you for another round of blood tests in what we call the mid-luteal phase of the cycle. All right. So with a monthly cycle, the first two weeks are called the follicular phase. That's when your follicles and your ovaries are getting ready to pop an egg out. And the second two weeks of the month is called the luteal phase. That's when one egg has matured, ripened, and ruptured. And if you're lucky, you got pregnant. And if you're using contraception or you just didn't have sex, you didn't, and your egg dies. Okay. Mm -hmm. About a week after your egg pops out, there should be a surge in your blood of a hormone called progesterone. So we try to get what we call a mid-luteal blood sample, and we're looking for progesterone levels. But the hard thing is it has to be done about a week before your period. And not everybody's period comes exactly at a week yeah. before. Yeah. So I, we call it the day 21 bloods, mm. you know, and that assumes you have a 28-day cycle. If you have a shorter cycle, we do that blood test earlier. If you have a longer cycle 
On average, we do that blood test a little bit later. So the fa- the, f- the day three bloods are easy to get because everybody knows when the third day after that period comes is. But to try to pick out a day in the next couple of weeks when you're exactly one week before a period is tricky as hell. So those are the two rounds of bloods we usually do in general practice. And we look for everything. Mm. So there I are, had a day yeah. one progesterone test and yeah. like that, it came back that I hadn't ovulated. Ah, interesting. Day 21. Day yeah. 21. But, you know, I actually thought that I hadn't yeah. or I hadn't in, in the window yeah. of, of days that needed. Well, if I get a, if I get a low project, if I get a low day 21, the first thing I do is ring the lady and say, when did your period come yeah, in relation? From that. Yeah. So if your period came three days later, that wasn't a day 21. Yeah. If it came f- 10 days later, that wasn't a day 21. Yeah. You need to try to catch it as close to seven days before the period is possible, which is physically impossible. And I think, so if that was day 21, I don't think my cycle started until day 37. Right. Right. So it wouldn't have tied it doesn't up. Doesn't make sense. But the information that you're getting from that is, oh, I, I'm not ovulating. I'm not fertile. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that might not be and the it's case It's probably at all. just a mismatch in that month cycle it, with regard to when that blood test was done. So is it important to go for kind of frequent months or to try and well, find an average? Not in general, no. I mean, it, some people have those LH kits. You know, those um, mm. you pee on the stick, it tells you if you've ovulated. They're kind of useful too. They used to be wicked expensive, but they're a little bit more affordable. So they're daily now. ovulation mm. sticks, a little like a pregnancy test. Yeah, but it lets you know when you ovulate. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, they, no, no, they're not as accurate as the blood. They're looking at luteinizing hormone on your in your urine, mm. which is not as accurate. We look at progesterone levels in your blood, which should be much more um, specific to a, a confirmed ovulation. But like I said before, just if you're... They're just, a good guide though. Oh yeah, they're fantastic for mm. something you can do at home without yes. going to talk to a GP about. And we don't just do sex hormone, like we'll do FSH, fo- follicle stimulating hormone. So every once in a while, it's unlikely... And what is involved the FSH? Because yeah. I do hear a lot about this. So FSH is called follicle stimulating hormone and it's a chemical released by the pituitary gland. Um, and it's influenced by the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus tells your body, okay, it's time to get ready for pregnancy. It wakes up the pituitary gland, which creates follicle stimulating hormone. And the, the, uh, what it is, is in the name, it stimulates each ovary that you have has millions of follicles in it. So follicle stimulating hormone will start to kind of, um, wake up a couple, I don't know what, maybe 10-ish, and they they take turns. So one ovary is active one month, the other ovary is active the next month. They kind of alternate. They tag team. Yeah, they share the the load. And eventually one mature follicle should ripen and rupture and give you an egg. But there's a lot of uh, confusion can happen at the level of the ovary. Sometimes you get too many follicles that... Um, are all trying to do the job at the same time. That's what polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay, so they all fire up, ready yeah. to go, yeah. but they don't release. And nobody gets matured. Nobody <sighs> releases. If you were to do the day twenty-one progesterone in that girl, it would be mm. uh, way below average. You know, for an ovulating woman. If sometimes when you do an ultrasound, you you look at the ovaries and you're like, what the heck? It's full of bubbles. Okay. Because there's so many huge dominant follicles. That's they all fired not, up, but no one won. And nobody wins. Yes. You want one. It should be that there's only one dominates, and that's what luteinizing hormone. Okay. So, luteinizing hormone and estrogen r- help m- uh, encourage that one single follicle to dominate and rupture and mature. And what so, those kits are doing, so those sticks, 
that's telling you, okay, estrogen's on the rise yeah, and, and then luteinizing. boom, LH is LH. here. LH starts to rise. If you have a 28-day cycle, LH levels start to climb around the ninth or 10th day of the month. And by day 12, 13, 14, they will have peaked. And it's the peak in LH that pops the, the follicle open and allows the egg out. And that's what the okay. pea sticks are, are and you looking want your, for. You want the sperm there ready and waiting. Ideally. Now that's... Because that's another confusing thing. Yeah. So people think have sex on the day. No, no, no. But your, yeah. you, your egg might only be viable. 24 hours. That's 24 about hours. as much as life as an egg has in it once it's been released. But sperm can live in your body for five days a week. So any sex you have coming up to your ovulation day should get the job done if if those sperm are healthy and your luck is on your side. So there's no need to be overly accurate yeah. with the timing of sex, which is a quite of a it's quite an ordeal sometimes to be like, oh yeah, my god, the performance yeah. sex is no fun. No, no, for anyone. No, and I mean it's never. I don't know. People say, oh, just relax and enjoy it. Like, come on, you you have a goal here, which is to get pregnant. Yeah. That all, all automatically takes and a lot of fun out of it. Year two of trying. Oh no, that that's insane. I think anybody who's tried more than six, nine months needs help. Go and talk. If no, for no other reason than to take an emotional break yeah. from that roller coaster. Yeah. I, I can only imagine because it's eroding every single month. Every failure, every period just puts another notch in your emotional well-being yeah. and makes it could possibly undermine your fertility for the next time. And it's just because you're carrying yeah. so much emotion yeah. that it's actually inhibiting yeah. exactly. the rise in good hormones. It's so depressing. And sometimes what we do, what I do anyway, and it's not a conventional thing, it's not written in any textbook, but I would often ask those ladies, assuming there isn't something very obviously wrong that yeah. needs to be acted upon, is to maybe go on the pill for a little while and just take a damn break. You know, give yourself three months during which time you're not even going to try. I mean, obviously, you're going to always be thinking about it. It becomes yeah. obsessional after a while. But at least for three months, if you go on the pill, assuming you're suitable to use it, it means you can have a three-month episode in your, your life as a couple in your own personal life where you can just look after you and forget about this baby-making compulsion. And then let's make sure you're weight and your lifestyle choices and your just general health is as good as it possibly mm. can be. There's also a weird little thing that happens when you suppress ovulation with the pill. It sometimes, and then you remove it and you mm. try for pregnancy. You can sometimes, in my mind, I think of those snakes in a can, you know, when you're the pushing springs, you're pushing them down, <laughs> the pill pushes down. Don't let those eggs mature. Don't let those eggs rupture. And then as soon as you withdraw the suppression, you do sometimes notice now it's probably not science. It's probably more coincidence. But um, I do, my, my ladies that I've seen do sometimes seem to get a bit of a boost if they try to get pregnant right after coming off the pill for a short period of time. Yeah, which is a great thing to do. Which is brilliant. But I love the idea of taking that little vacation from trying which I also think would be very anxious for people to decide because there's the feeling of like yeah but it could be this month so it won't happen then if I go on the pill yeah but if somebody's been been trying without success for a year 18 Mm. months Mm. you know what is the chance like the chances are not getting better the longer you delay you know what I mean like if you were under 35 and you've been trying for more than a year something something is, is, is wrong, is whether it. it's an, an, a stress-related thing yeah. or a physiological thing, you know, something's getting in the way. Yeah, or scars in your tubes or subfertility in your partner, something's in the way. So is there anything else then that a woman can expect to have um, tested? Okay. There, 
there's a very popular and important um, blood test that you can do for women who are having delay in getting pregnant called the anti-malarian hormone or AMH. And this is a chemical made by the granulosa cells of your eggs. So that's, that's, those are the cells in the middle of the cell, not on the, not on the edges of the cell. Um, and AMH levels go down as you age, depending on how many eggs you have left. All right. So they kind of give you a sort of a snapshot as to what your back what your background level of egg availability is, I suppose. Now, you don't need a million eggs to have a baby. You only need one good one. So sometimes a higher AMH doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get pregnant straight away. Likewise, a low AMH doesn't mean you're going to have problems getting pregnant straight away. So it's not a brilliant blanket test for I know everybody. a lot of women really cling on to that number. They really do. They really do. As almost like it's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Let's put it this way. If you started your family late, okay, and you tried for a couple of months and it wasn't happening, and I, you came to me and I did blood tests. Now, some GPs don't offer AMH. Some laboratories in, in the hospitals we send our blood tests to, get, they kick up a bit of a stink when you try to do AMHs because they're quite expensive mm -hmm. um, and taxpayers are paying for it and maybe they feel we're being we're doing them unnecessarily in some cases, whatever. But um, for the most part, we're able to get them done on, you know, for free. Mm. And um, if it comes back like super low, like less than one, mm. that is a sign that somebody needs to get their skates on. Mm -hmm. So if I meet a woman and she's been trying for a little while and we do an AMH and it's less than one, she goes immediately to fertility care. There's mm -hmm. no sp screwing around with lose weight, don't smoke, don't drink, you know, because mm. that woman's egg reserve it's very, very go. low. Yeah. But if your AMH levels, now the, the ranges are ridiculous. Like if you're between 35 and 40, I think the range is somewhere from one to 58, which is insane, you know, and girls who have 50 AMH don't always get pregnant and girls who have one do. So it doesn't really prove anything, but it gives us a good sense of how many eggs are still available to mm -hmm. us. And say, if it did turn out that you were a candidate for IVF, it gives a it gives a good, it helps the fertility doctors get a sense of how many eggs are we likely to get matured if we downregulate and stimulate. And stimulate. Yeah. And I think as well, maybe it gives a sense of reassurance. Yeah. Well, if it comes back in the normal range, it tells us virtually nothing. Yeah. It's only when it comes back super low that that... It's, it has its, it's usefulness an indicator then. as to why there's it's a like, problem. Do not mess around. Get some advice immediately. So like a lady was just telling me the other day, she went for her um, for fertility assessment and her AMH was like three or four and they were happy and she, she got IVF. And in, she, funny enough, she didn't succeed. Her um, implanted eggs didn't take. But a couple of months later, she had a spontaneous pregnancy, which was wonderful. And when she was seen at the six-week checkup, um, not only was her obstetrician there, but her fertility doctor was there, oh. same hospital. And he said, listen, um, if you're thinking of having another baby, probably because she was 40, I think at that point, they said probably best not to leave it too long. But while you're here, let's just check your AMH and see. And it was like, it was so low. He basically said, start immediately. So she had a six week old baby in her arms and her fertility doctor was telling her, try now. Try now and sure enough, another. she did. She got pregnant straight away, you know, but he was alarmed by how low her AMH 
was at okay. that age and she didn't want one baby. She wanted at least two children. So that spontaneous, mm-hmm. you know, ovulation and fertilization and birth, that was really rare. Yeah. It was really luck. Yeah. But it was good advice not to, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll get over this pregnancy, which makes sense, like from your body's point of view. But when your clock is against you and you're 40 and you're thinking, let's go again, you can't waste time, you know, and that puts pressure on you, too. And when is it when when is a good time and what are you looking for when you do start when you're getting into scans? Mm. If somebody is when we're worried that someone's not got an ovulatory cycle. So if someone either has very infrequent periods or um, has periods but they're unusual and, and very heavy and painful, like s- someone who might we might suspect to be suffering with endometriosis, mm-hmm. it's always a good idea to get either an ultrasound or an MRI or whatever, you know, in your locale you can access to see if there's something at an o- ovary level that's abnormal and needs to be acted upon. So a lady with multiple follicles will often have fertility delay. Somebody with bad endometriosis. Endometriosis is where you find womb lining tissue outside the womb, like on the top of the womb or in the fallopian tube, on the fallopian tubes, on the ovaries. And really the only way to confirm the diagnosis is with a camera test, you know, when you go asleep. But that's that's way too invasive to do to everybody with heavy, mm-hmm. painful periods. So sometimes we'll do an, an MRI, particularly is a really useful, non-invasive way of seeing whether or not there's some like gynecological reason for a delay in conception. Mm -hmm. And those women, they need to be referred quicker. So women with abnormal ovaries on scan have to be referred quicker for fertility help. And ladies with um, endometriosis, significant endometriosis, might benefit from being referred earlier. I mean, they could get pregnant without intervention, and it does often happen but the likelihood is lower for them. Mm. Whereas if someone's got a regular monthly cycle, lovely fertile blood tests, normal ultrasound, normal pelvis on scan or MRI, and they're not in any urgency about getting help, you could, you could, you could leave it for a year or two and see where you go. But those women typically are not who comes to the GP. Usually they're women who want help immediately. No. Yeah. And so from that point, do you refer on to a clinic? Yeah, always. And we're, and we're much quicker to refer now than we were in the old days because, first of all, there's loads of places you can go. Mm. But the other thing is, like we were saying before, the demoralization of trying and failing, trying and failing, becomes its own issue mm-hmm. after time. And so... And imagine relationship oh, Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to live in a house where it has become the main focus of your relationship is to have this pregnancy... And it's not happening spontaneously. And then you're wondering, is it me or is it him? Mm. You know, mm. and and you don't know. I think, but it's a really important point because there mm. is a lot of focus, I think, because it is the woman who has that monthly feedback from her body through her cycle. Yep. It is the woman who from an early age has decided to go on a contraception. So she's ha- going to the GP regularly for a prescription. She's monitoring that part of her world. Yeah, it's been her job. Like it's yeah. her, she's the she's the fertile one. Yeah, or fertility queen. Like, and then it's like, mm. well, obviously the problem must be hers. Yeah. But yeah. we know that that is not the no, case. No, at least in twenty five percent of of couples with delayed conception, it's a sperm problem. And of all the tests you can do, I mean. It's not, I don't want to minimize it because a lot of men do not like providing semen for semen analysis. Um, You can't, it's very awkward to provide it as a part of intercourse. You really should provide it 
through masturbation mm. into a sterile cup mm. in a facility, which as a rule, men hate, you know? Well, it's not the sexiest of places. No, and, and it's embarrassing and it's awkward, but that's how you get the best sample for analysis. Mm. It's also not free. You know, you have to pay. But like smear tests aren't fun either. I know. You know, well, so <laughs> it's it's kind of, if you're in it, you're in it. Labor, no fun. <laughs> I agree. So... <laughs> Yes, yeah. it's not fun for so for the men. Up to but a you point. Know what? Up to a point. Tough nuts. Like yeah. you gotta yeah. go. Yeah. If there's a serious <laughs> issue and it's it's a genuine risk. Yeah. But I, I you're either it, in it or you're out. I don't mind doing bloods and maybe an MRI or a scan, but I'm not going to keep on banging away looking for female causes of of delayed fertility no. if I don't get a semen analysis at yeah. some point because that's a small price to pay. Mm-hmm. Now, if it turns out that you do need to go to um, fertility. Uh, specialty centers, they're going to do, um, they're going to inject dye into your womb and look for, for scar tissue in your womb. They might do a laparoscopy where you have to go asleep and have a procedure. You're going to have a lot of tests done yeah. and that's not fair. It, they w- Well, certainly they wouldn't undertake any of that no. until your partner had had semen analysis. Like you've yeah. got to rule out 50% of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. So it takes two humans coming together for this to work properly. And I think that there's two really important things on the sperm test in that it's, you know, about the the quantity and the pace and all that, but also the the DNA fragmentation. Yeah. So there could be loads, but But when they're not good quality. Yeah. When they meet the egg, they break down. And so much stuff that you don't realize affects that. So it used to be that women had to have a nice, healthy weight and they couldn't smoke and I'm not drinking because we're trying to get pregnant and I'd stopped using marijuana or whatever. The same applies to sperm. A man whose weight is, is not optimal, who uses, who uses recreational drugs, who smokes or drinks heavily, who works in a situation where their testicles are abnormally warm, either holding a laptop on your lap or sitting for long periods of time, you might make millions of sperm, but they'll be useless. Their morphology will be abnormal. Their DNA content will be abnormal, and you won't be able to conceive a healthy baby with them. So lifestyle optimization for the man Mm -hmm. is just as important as it is for the woman. And male sperm is created daily. Yeah, they get a fresh supply every day. They get a fresh supply. Mind you, it takes about three months from the time the little baby sperms are created in the testicles to the time they actually come out in an ejaculate. So there's a a lag time. But if there's a problem, you can find out and you can absolutely do something about it. That's a good point. So if you're like using a lot of recreational drugs, smoking, drinking, whatever, like the smart thing would be give yourself a three-month period during which you live clean and then you try to get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Because, you know, with women, your eggs are your eggs. Mm. That's the number you were born with. That's the number you have to work with. Yeah. But for the guys, readjusting their lifestyle and actually taking a really a participative mm-hmm. part in this. Mm-hmm. You can, can reset. Have huge benefits. Yeah, they can reset. Whereas yeah. we can't. We're kind of dealing with so I think it's really important to find out so that that reset can happen. Yeah. And also not to get a positive uh, test and then allow that lifestyle to decline. Yeah. That would be awful. Because then that also has, yeah. you know, just because you, you good sperm a year ago doesn't mean you do today. So lifestyle yeah. adaptions yeah. are really important yeah, to bring absolutely. in. And so so all the stuff, you know all the stuff we're not mm. supposed to do, which is mm. have very low or very high body weight. We're not supposed to be using drug, recreational drugs. We're not supposed to be, like any amount of alcohol is toxic. I'm sorry, mm. it just is. Mm. It is a poison. Uh, it is a poison. I mean, if you're... I don't know. It's off. You don't want to be too kind of sour about the whole thing. But if there's a delay, it wouldn't be any 
it wouldn't be a bad idea to cut back hard on the drinking, you know. Um, but then not cut back too much on fun. See, this is it. It's a fine line between being overly like obsessed and focused. Yeah. You know, we're not. We're only going to eat organic food, and we're not drinking. You know, within reason, nature will take its own course, mm. and what you do can plays a role, but it's only a small role compared to what your destiny is, I guess, you know? There's a lot of intimidation around making those first steps into the fertility clinics. Mm. Um, a kind of a feeling of once you're on that treadmill, it's hard to get off and things can escalate so quickly. But there is a huge amount of success. Yeah, they're better now than they ever were before. And there's more of them around now. Mm. Like in the old days, the maternity hospitals had a few assisted reproductive clinics. Um but beyond that, there wasn't much now in the last 30 years, 25 years anyway. The private sector has blown up. And then more laterally, an awful lot of European fertility um, protocols and clinics have started to set up satellite clinics in Ireland mm. um, because like, the, the technology is amazing. And in a lot of other European countries, fertility support treatments, investigations, medications, whatever, is considered part of normal health care. Whereas in Ireland, traditionally, it's not, you know, like uh, some in private insurance companies won't include things like IVF and fertility counseling. Mm. More, more are coming on board with that, but it, it's not considered standard care here like it is in other countries. Some other countries, obviously, other places don't take any interest in it at all either. Um, like, it's not automatic that a, a young woman or man who are going to be going through who have been diagnosed with say a disease that could have the treatment for which could have an effect on their fertility in later life it's very common that they wouldn't even be asked about their plans for the future and would they like fertility preserving options mm -hmm. you know so you've you, you end up with god forbid your leukemia you get your radiation and it's only after the fact somebody says oh by the way this could affect your ability to have kids instead of automatically being referred to a fertility advisor mm. to decide, do you want egg harvesting? Do you want sperm freezing now before we treat you for your disease? I think because I'm just so used to watching American medical shows that I just think that should be automatic. That the first thing they go no, through? it's awful. It's absolutely awful that it's not part of our conventional, you know, day-to-day -day healthcare, mm. not, you know, you want to make sure if you, God forbid, one of your kids has got a bad diagnosis, that that's something you need to bring that up mm. at some stage in the consultation. And you may have to go privately to get advice about pr mm. preserving um, your children's fertility in the future. It should be standard care. It really should, you know. But anyway, that's just the society in which we live. Uh, there's no, the uh, availability of fertility aid varies from county to county. Some stuff, it helps to have private insurance. Sometimes it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. You're going to be paying cash anyway. Some procedures that are wickedly expensive in Ireland are very, very cheap on the continent. So there's a, there's a real kind of um, fertility tourism trade mm. uh, has, has developed over the last 10 or 12 years. Things like donor egg, which, you know, you have to go abroad for because mm -hmm. we don't have any legislation mm. for here. Um, or even just standard IVF is a fraction of the cost on the continent than it is here. So a lot of people are traveling. Are using those options. Yeah. I would. Over the years, we've often gotten women come back with a list of blood tests for me to take, a list of medicines for me to prescribe, 
a list of tasks for me to arrange um, written in some language I don't speak. <laughs> so because this is what they've come home with. Now, there are more places nowadays than ever before. So people who have some money are usually very able to resource care. But there's a lot of different levels of care. Like there are some private companies that specialize in maintain or promoting fertility, but they won't entertain IVF, in vitro fertilization. Okay, so they'll do everything but. Okay. So giving you hormones to support, maybe you're getting pregnant, but you're miscarrying. They'll give you hormones to support pregnancy, or a, some people use low-dose aspirin to minimize the risk of blood or microscopic blood clots that could be causing miscarriages. Like there's a 50 different things they do that don't involve having your eggs harvested, having your partner's semen collected, putting them together, watching them, videoing them over two, three, four, five days, and then putting them back in you, which is what IVF mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good rundown of what IVF is mm -hmm. because we hear it said so often, but um, it's great that to simplify it like yeah. that. It is. It's the it's egg quite is taken, the sperm is taken, yeah. it's fertilized. You watch and see, you know, yeah. Is it viable? Yeah. And then it goes in hoping to implant. It, the IVF is a bit of an ordeal because to optimize the likelihood of a successful outcome, which is a healthy pregnancy, a healthy mom, and a healthy baby, instead of just going in and sucking some eggs out of your ovary, they don't do that. They downregulate you first, which means they make you menopausal, and they shut off all which your... Which is why so many women talk about the, the challenges <sighs> when it comes to the hormone levels it's and emotional levels. Oh, it's horrible, yeah. So, but it's, you know, it's just, it only, that doesn't go on for, you know, yeah. like real menopause. It doesn't last that long. But it's to kind of turn everything it's an important off. thing to bear in mind mm -hmm. that there there's a lot that goes on oh, internally. Oh, it's a huge commitment. Then they stimulate the ovary hard with drugs, with, with pharmaceuticals, so as to cause multiple ovulations. Okay. Because if you're going to put a woman through the ordeal of a procedure, putting a needle into her body and sucking eggs out, you don't just want one egg. You want to get a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. So they give you a drug that will make you make lots of eggs so they can get harvest a few of them then they put those eggs in a, in a glass in, you know a warm environment to nurture them and then they sometimes they'll put the sperm directly into the nucleus like right into the through the wall of the egg so they they and they don't pick any sperm they pick they the watch these sperm they pick the sperm. best sperm yeah best man and then then they video the process where the cells cleave so if one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. And it's fascinating. It's actually so cool to watch. And you can see these things on, these videos on YouTube. And there's lovely, now you can get a picture of, of that cellular action. It's actually and miraculous. Seen, yeah, yeah, I've seen a beautiful um, painting of it as though like that's the very, very first. It's fantastic. And hung on a nursery. It was so beautiful. In, in Qatar, you know, that country, Qatar mm. airline, Qatar, um, they have the most beautiful, enormous sculpture of an egg, an ovum, and a sperm, and then like 10 other sculptures, huge things, 10 mm. feet high, of showing the whole embryology. Oh, wow. It's actually amazing. I don't know I don't know who commissioned it, but it's, it's outside the hospital. It's glorious. It really is the miracle of life, you know? So the video of those cells is happening, mm. and then when it matures yeah. enough. Now, only if the video shows that the maturation process and the division process is going smoothly. And then they usually will test the chromosomes of that zygote mm -hmm. to make sure they're healthy. Then you come back in and you have them 
implanted into your womb and you've been taking fertility enhancing hormones mm. while you're waiting for that stage of the process. So it is really fraught. You know, it's an Several unpleasant stages. procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't go into it lightly, you know. So I think what we're learning more and more from listening to our community um, and hearing different stories of women that have gone through different challenges and couples that have gone through different challenges is that it's so important to explore all of the things and all of the options before jumping straight from, is there a problem? I don't know. Let's yeah. go to IVF. That's why I think when your GP is going to refer you somewhere, I if if they're of a mind to, it would be worth getting um, kind of a, have a consultation with more than one place. Um, I won't name any specifically, mm. but I have my own favorites, if you know what I'm saying. Because there are places where I know if that couple makes an appointment, chances are they're going to end up having IVF because those people love doing IVF. You know, even if their problem maybe could have been mm. fixed without going to the extreme and the mm. expense of IVF. So some places are much quicker to go, you know, go full frontal IVF than other places where, where they're more willing to just do some tests, yeah. do some low-key investigations to optimize the natural chances of you getting pregnant without um, automatically going down the IVF route. Although for some people, that's the only way they're... Absolutely. Another but I think it's great to explore all oh, of those yeah. things before you get there. So you should, I definitely think you should have, and any place worth its salt will give you a free consultation, you know, a free fact-finding consultation or, um, you know, you, they all have websites now. You can look mm -hmm. on their websites and see what you think of them as an operation. So I certainly have my favorites. So I wouldn't get advice from a GP about where to go for fertility uh, assessment and support unless that GP knew the, was, was in the habit of referring because they know the good, the bad. And then the other thing that often happens, which I just love, and it just shows you the nuance of this whole thing. A lot of people go for IVF the procedure is unsuccessful in that the embryos they put back do not grow and then they get pregnant spontaneously a couple of months later. I hear it all the time. Well, I all don't the time. hear it all the time, but I mean, you do hear it. It's common. What's going on? I don't know. It's amazing. It's almost like as if maybe whatever was wrong was an imbalance, the extra, you know, because if you've gone through IVF, you've had The your, intensity of that hormonal you've, shift. You've literally shut down your ovulatory system. You've woken it back up again hard. It's like you plugged your computer in and back in again. It's almost like you turn the whole thing off and plugged it back, reset <laughs> the whole thing. It's extraordinary that how commonly people yeah. do seem to get pregnant after. Or is it a mental thing? It's like, okay. Who knows? It, it could be both. It didn't work. Let's move forward. It could be both. And then it happens. Yeah. When you stop pushing so hard, yeah. when you just give up trying when you expect, I'm not even going to worry about it because I know it's not going to happen and then it happens. It's probably a combination of all of that stuff. Everything that we've learned this month is just that it's so important to talk more, to get the information, to not sit and worry because that anxiety will rise mm -hmm. and that tension in your relationship will get stronger and stronger. Yeah. And trust the people around you. You know, yeah. tell and your friend, tell your mom. Absolutely. You know, if you were having a problem in any other arena, you would share it. And I think we need to see the benefit of that. Absolutely. And part of that is, you know, making that appointment, going to talk to your GP, yeah. especially if they specialize in if your GP has planning. if your GP has a website and it says women's health on the website, there's a good chance that they'll be very familiar with the principles of basic fertility support care. Mm -hmm. Certainly every well woman or every family planning clinic 
would have an algorithm, a protocol for people with delayed fertility. So even if you live in an area where the local GP isn't notoriously supportive, whatever, oh, sure, you're young yet, go Mm -hmm. away and relax, which really irks me when I hear that advice, you know. Um, It's not advice. It's just dismissive. It's dismissive, yeah. You could be able to find a local family planning clinic or a well-woman center that would give you very up-to-speed information. Because it's very, very scary. No, I agree. And it's um, it's a very lonely time for some couples. Mm, mm. So I just think we're so lucky to live in a time where there is so much information and help. Yeah. But we need to make that first move and feel kind of, you know, it's not the beginning of the end by making those appointments. No, no. It's not accepting failure or defeat. And it's no, it's no condemnation of you as a woman. You know, it's chances are if you decided to have a baby at 18, which is when your body is ripe for it, you'd have had no problem. And it's not your fault that our community does not encourage, you know, mm. early pregnancy. So here you are, it's 10 or 20 years later, and you might need a hel- you might need a helping hand. No judgment, no condemnation. So make those appointments, have those conversations, take care of yourself. Make sure that you're in it together as a couple. And you're both going through each phase stronger as you can each time. And don't feel alone and scared because there's just, there's so much support and so much help. And I'm really proud that every mum could actually dedicate a whole month to taking care of our fertility this because it really does matter. This is a great idea. Deirdre, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing just more wisdom and just support and loveliness. I could listen to you all day. (laughs) You've no idea how many people you've helped just through this hour. My pleasure. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Every Mom the Podcast. We hope this episode supports as many couples as possible. If you found it's helped you, let us know. Share on Instagram or subscribe here and leave a review. You can learn more about caring for your fertility on everymom.ie and watch our series of powerful takeovers on Instagram. Remember, we are here to support you. So if there's something you'd like us to focus on, get in touch at hello at everymom.ie. This series is kindly supported by Water Wipes. Water Wipes are an essential for every mum from that first nappy change and during those messy weaning months. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes, Water Wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and are proud sponsors of Every Mum, the podcast.